following talk is from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk. Thanks for listening. It's really, really great to see you. As a church community, we've been looking through the book of Ephesians, and although this is a Thanksgiving service for these children being born, we kind of thought, shall we do something applicable to this? and uh, move on from Ephesians, but actually we decided we're going to stick with Ephesians. So if you're visiting us this morning, it might be a bit strange for you, but for the vast majority of people, you'll appreciate that we're still working together through this excellent book. Before we get into um, any of this, I'd like to make a comment about Jo Cox. Um, there wouldn't be a person in this room that doesn't know about her and what happened tragically to her uh, this uh, last week. I think it's really hit the nation. And uh, the comment I'd like to make is this, that over the last however many years, MPs um, in this country have had a pretty rough ride. I think that uh, you'll be aware of the fact there's been scandals, and often those are the things that are kind of highlighted, and there's a lot of kind of opposition and cynicism um, and aggression towards uh, what people have to say about MPs. She represents, I believe, because I've met many MPs in my life, the majority of MPs, that they're actually ordinary people like you and me who have felt a kind of calling to do what they do. They're not in it for what they can gain. And she is one of those. And I think if there's anything that can come out of what's happened to her, tragic and drastic though it is, it just could be a bit of a restoration um, in our hopes and in our faith, if you like, in being in a democratic society where we actually have people that represent us. If you know your MP, or have any contact with them, because we represent many boroughs and different MPs here, it'll be good for you to make a comment to them, to tell them of your support, to actually encourage them, maybe even to use the word, we are praying for you. Because I think it's really got to me and highlighted to me this week how amazing some of these people are. And she really is an amazing... I have a friend who was a friend of hers when they were together at university, and even back there, he said she was a most remarkable standout kind of person. And so this is a real, real deal for us, and I'd just like us to just pray. I think it's got something to do with us as a nation. I think it's got something to do with what God wants to do uh, in this land. Father, we we have a big week coming up just now where we're going to be voting, and uh, we're going to be voting about the future of this nation and how it works And this week's been so tragic for so many of us, just so appalling, really. We don't understand why bad things happen to to very good people, but we know that's the world in which we live. And uh, Lord, we pray. We pray for her family right now in Jesus' name, that you will comfort them, you will speak to them, you'll gather around them. We can't even imagine what it must feel like right now. And Lord, we know that you are with us in everything that we experience. Be with them, we pray in Jesus' name. And we pray, Father, for MPs who are all shaken and wondering about their futures right now, that you will come to them and that you will bless them and that we will have a restoration in this nation of an honoring of leadership that maybe has not been there before. And I pray for many of these MPs that they'll continue to do the good work that they do In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. I hope those are not just my opinions and thoughts, but they resonate with you as well. 
Now, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and each time we look at this book, we're looking at a different theme, and this week's theme is We Are Changing. Today, I'm going to be looking at being changed, and the scripture that we won't look at just at the moment is a very, very long scripture from Ephesians 4.17 through to Ephesians 5.18, and it's going to take me quite a long time to read it, so what I thought I would do is read it, but in the context of of actually preaching. You'll, you'll, see, you'll see what I mean when we get there. Before I was a Christian, so we're going to read a bit later. Before I was a Christian, I, um, I knew that I needed to change. I tried to change. I don't think I tried very hard, but I did have a go. It didn't work. There are many, many people today in the world that are spending thousands and thousands of pounds because they know that they need to change. A lot of it's cosmetic, a lot of it is outward, a lot of it is changing of appearance and image. A lot of people are trying to change themselves on the inside. We know that something's wrong. I think I knew that before I was a Christian. There were things not quite right that needed to change, and I wondered if I could change myself by doing this or doing that. Lots of people change, try to do lots of things to change themselves, either outwardly or inwardly. And Christians are people who knew that they needed to change, but they knew that they couldn't. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, it's not that the Christians around you are better people than you, it's just that they knew that they couldn't change. And so they kind of said, well, if I can't change myself, I wonder if there's anyone or anything that could change me. And... Then one day they heard a message, and it was an amazing message called the gospel that seems to present the opportunity for genuine and radical change. It's good news when you've run out of ideas of how to change anything that you hear a message that promises change. And then in that message, these people who were not yet Christians then met a person. Because the message is about Jesus, who is the Son of God. And the message proclaims a person, Jesus, who has the power and the authority to utterly change people's lives. So you're trying to get changed and you can't get changed. You hear a message that promises change and then you meet a person in the middle of it, Jesus Christ. And you have an encounter with him by faith because he's a risen Savior, he's alive today, and you realize you've met the one person that can really, really change you, though you've never been able to do it for yourself. And then a miracle happens. And the miracle is this, because you put your faith in Jesus, you are born again. And the miracle is this, that you are changed, right at the very center, at the very root of your innermost being. A message leads to an encounter with a person that leads to an encounter with an experience of Jesus as you put your faith in him that causes a miracle of new birth. And a Christian is not someone who's trying hard to change through self-effort, but is someone, and you've got to hear this this morning, essentially who has been changed at the very root, the very essence of your very, very character. To be born again is to be changed inwardly. 
It is to be having a new heart. The Bible describes us as a new creation. When you become a Christian, you are changed utterly. Everything is new. This is not cosmetic. This is not to do with outward appearance. Some of us wish it really was, but it isn't. This change is not about gritting your teeth and having a go, like a New Year's resolution, wondering whether it will last for three days or not, and trying desperately to keep up with this need to change. Really, for those that are Christians, is this. There is an inward change that is a transformation. I always find it's difficult talking to a bunch of Christians about this because you all look like you're not really convinced. You all look like you're pretty kind of going in one ear and out the other. But you've got to understand, it doesn't matter how long you live, how many times you hear the gospel, how many times you hear a word like this, a miracle has happened in your life. What you couldn't do, he has done. What you long to happen, he has already accomplished it in your life. If you're a born-again Christian here this morning, even though you may not feel like it and you're frustrated where you are, you have had a miracle happen in your life. Something of eternity has come into you. Now this is where we come on to the message we have this morning. Ephesians tells us that those of us who are changed must now go on being changed. You're not trying to get the root of change. That's happened already. You're a new person. But now the outworking of that change needs to be something that is applied to your life and mine. The gospel not only saves you, it transforms you. Every part of your being, emotionally, mentally, everything you've been through in the past, all the baggage that you still have with you, this gospel is committed to changing all of that. That's why the title of this word is, We Are Changing. So we've been changed, but we're going on to be changed. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, you are changed, but then you, from degree to degree, you go on being changed and go on being transformed. You say, well, I'm changed. I believe this. What you've just said, Dave, I, I, I really believe. I am born again. But I have this terrible anger problem. I really have a temper problem. The gospel says this. If you've been changed from darkness into light, from your past into what you are now, that same gospel can transform your anger. It may take a long time, but it has the power to deal with people who have temper. So I know Christians who've been born again but have carried on with a real temper problem. But as they've given themselves, we'll see in a moment how we do this, to the possibility of ongoing change, that they have been really changed as a person when it comes to those things. You say, well, I am changed, I'm born again, but I'm full of anxiety and fear. The gospel can change anxiety and fear and give you peace. The gospel does all of these things. You say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm addicted to this habit or that habit. I've I'm, I'm just got addictions. Here's the message. The same power that saved you has the f- same power to utterly transform you 
from all addictions. And we're not claiming this morning everyone gets delivered right there and then. Some do. But for actually for many people, it's a gradual transformation as we allow this gospel to begin to change us. You say, well, I had a really bad upbringing. I mean, we saw these little children being, giving thanks for these children this morning. And it's kind of like, for some of us, it reminds us of our own families, our upbringing, our mums, our dads, maybe neglect, maybe abuse. You may have become a Christian, but actually the reality is you've got a lot of damage in your life because of the way you were brought up. The testimony of many Christians is this, that the power of the gospel can transform all the things that have happened in your past because you are a new creation. Some of us have just got to start walking into the change. Some of us have got to start applying this gospel that saved us into salvation of every part of our lives. You say, I'm a Christian, but you know, I'm sexually messed up, or I'm full of guilt and condemnation all the time, or I have a low self-image. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. The Word of God encourages us that there's not a single thing that's happened pre-Christianity that cannot be affected and transformed by the power of the gospel. Is that good news? Otherwise, we're all saved and nothing's going to change. So we're changed, Ephesians says, but we must go on being changed. This is what the Bible says. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And that doesn't say Dio. It doesn't say James. It says you. Just put your name there. He who began salvation, choosing a good work in you, will bring it to completion. Sometimes the change is really slow. Have you noticed? Sometimes it's really frustrating because we live in a very instant world, so we'd like change to be instant, and it's so annoying when it isn't. As you can see, I've got a problem with being annoyed. It's a gradual process. The Bible says it's often a gradual process, but sometimes it's so slow we can't even see it, but it's happening. It's kind of encouraging when someone else says, You've really changed. They go, really? Do you really know me? But their observation is you're not the same person that you used to be, which is good news. This has been a difficult week for you, for me, as you can imagine, preparing this sermon. When you're a preacher, you're always conscious of what you're going to speak on the following Sunday. And then immediately you become aware of how little has changed in your life. People this week have annoyed me as much as probably the first week when I was saved. I mean, they really have riled me. And um, I, I've been so conscious, because I'm preaching, of, of the lack of change in my life. If Liz was here, she's just popped over to Eltham, so she's not. But if she was here, she would testify to this. I, I have a real problem with driving. I mean, I'm a brilliant driver. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm surrounded by people who don't know how to drive. And I, I don't know if you're like me, you may not be, but I'm a commentator while I'm driving, even if I'm the only one and no one can hear me in the car. I comment on, what is she doing and why has he done that? And for goodness sake, speed up! 
this week's been appalling. Now, I've been a Christian 40-something years, and I've been working so hard on a change of attitude towards people who drive around me. I mean, do people in Nigeria actually take driving lessons? I mean, I, I have no idea. And so I'm, I'm surrounded by this, and this week has just been the worst. I'll tell you, it's been, it's been awful. And you're aware, my devotional life has not been up to much this week. Is that ever really going to change? I've been aware of my self-centeredness. My thought life isn't what it perhaps should be. Folks, we're a work in progress, and I don't think I'm the only one. That's what it is. But ongoing change is hugely important. And I'm going to give you five reasons really quickly. Why we just can't leave this. Why Dave Holden needs to change when it comes to his habits of driving and putting up with people in his devotional life. Still needs to change massively. The first is this. Number one, it is a proof of conversion. People say, well, is she saved? Well, the answer to that is look at the changes. In the end, the inward transformation must manifest itself, mustn't it? On the outside. The direct result of the inward is the outward transformation. And if you claim to be born again as a Christian this morning, it will be very, very odd if just nothing happens and everything just stays the same as it was beforehand. What was the point of being born again? And so for me, the, it's so important that there's ongoing change because it assures me, it confirms to me that I have truly been born again. Sometimes there's a dramatic change. My goodness, that person's so different. Sometimes it's a very, very slow change, but still real. And when you're converted, it's interesting, and the, the weeks and months and even years to follow, you begin to be aware more and more that you sense things differently, that you feel differently about things, that you think differently to the way that you used to, that your passions changed. I mean, I used to be very, very passionate about things. I thought that would be it. I'm not even interested in some of those things anymore. Because my passions have gone elsewhere because I'm a child of God. My priorities have changed. And so on and so on. It's a constant confirmation that you are born again. Number two. This is so important from what Jane shared last week. It is the first sign of growth. These little babies that we've been giving thanks for this morning, they're not going to stay the same as that. They're going to grow. <clears throat> and what happens, the first thing you notice about growth is change. Don't you? Yeah? Yeah? When something's growing, it's changing all the time. And so children grow and they change and they mature. I find it fascinating in this book, as we'll read in a moment, that what James preached on last week, the first part of Ephesians chapter 4, is all about growth. We need to grow. The rest of that chapter into chapter 5 is all a declaration of what that growth looks like. And it's all about change. You used to be this, and now you're this. You used to do that, and now you do this. And so the first sign of growth is change. If you're growing as a Christian, you'll be changing. Number three, for your own sake. What does this change look like? How would you summarize this change that we're involved in? It's very simple. It's this. We are to become like Jesus. You think, well, how, what, what is the, what's the goal? The goal for every child of God, every Christian, is to become like Christ. 
Romans 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So in other words, we have this wonderful scripture. Look at it with me. He predestined to be conformed, which means to be changed, <coughs> to be transformed. So here I am, changed by the gospel, hallelujah, at the root of my being. Now I am being changed to be like Jesus. So for your own sake, it's good news. And it's so encouraging when people say to you, you are different. I haven't had many people come up to me in my life and said, you're so like Jesus. But maybe I'm a little bit more like him than I was 40 years ago. We are being changed into the image of God's Son. And it's for your own sake. It's ever so encouraging when you realize and it dawns on you. And sometimes other people have to help you. When our kids were young, we used to have, once a month, we'd have this special family meal. And uh, so we had four children... And um, we always tried to eat together as much as we could as a family, uh, a place of communication and expression. But once a month, Liz and I used to say we have a special evening, and it's a three-course meal. It was, a, it, was, it was an attempt to keep everyone at the table for longer than is normal. And praise God, it wasn't in the days of any social media or tablets or anything, so we didn't have that problem. So we sat there, and we'd slow everybody down, have a three-course meal, and in this meal, you were allowed to speak about anyone else in the family and how you felt they were doing in terms of their relationship with you, etc. And for some very, very odd reason, uh, you know, things have still been a mystery to me, I always ended up as the major topic of conversation. <laughs> Good, we get a go to... Now, I used to be, <clears throat> and some of you are going to look at me now who know me, think, well, that's not changed much, but I used to be very glum. I used to be very had a propensity to being really kind of low and a bit depressed and just glum about things. And when you're being raised in a family with someone like that, the family are the ones who know it. So my kids knew this. And it was often a conversation issue as the years went by over this meal. Trouble is, Dad, you're still so glum, blah, blah, blah. And it was a really weird little moment in my life <laughs> where maybe a number of years into this, we sat down and all the kids said, Dad... The thing about you is you're not as glum as you used to be. <laughs> There's something that's changed about you. And something inside me just went, Lord, it's not that I've been working really hard at that, but actually that's a transformation. And family members are the first people that know what's going on in your life, which is where if you're a Christian parent and you come to this church on Sundays and you do that and you don't do that at all the rest of the week, then your kids are the first to know. And it says, Dad says something that's important on Sunday, but the rest of the week, Christianity isn't all that real. They see, they know. The fourth reason why we need <clears throat> this transformation is that it's for everyone else's sake. <laughs> I didn't know how else to put it subtly. But it's not only good for you, it's good for those around you. So if we are fundamentally self-centered and we start to prefer others, and we start to look out for the interests of others, naturally, because we're born again. We start to love others more than ourselves. Then the blessing to those around us is massive. Take leadership, for example. The church needs many leaders. 
No leaders in the church are ever born leaders. What do I mean by that? It means people who couldn't lead can lead because God fashions us and makes us into the leaders that he can use. So it is for everyone else's sake, because if you're sitting here thinking, well, I'll never be a leader, well, maybe one day you will be, because actually God will do a work in you and change you so much that you'll end up as a blessing to those around. And the fifth thing, quickly, is this, as a testimony to our friends and our family members and to all at work and everybody that knows us well, <clears throat> that this gospel changes and our lives, and the best people to notice that sometimes are those who don't yet know Jesus. It's so important. So it's not just an internal thing for Christians, it's an external thing for unbelievers. And isn't it amazing? When you hear the testimony of somebody, part of the testimony is this, I came to Jesus because I saw the transformation in my husband's life, or in my wife's life, or I saw the transformation in my kids, and there was this guy at work, who used to swear and used to be bad news, always laughed at all the dirty jokes, <clears throat> and he's changed. And I said, what is it about you that's changed? And he told me about Jesus. This is amazing that the change can, can produce this. So let me ask you a question, and I want a response. Hands up, those of you who would like to change or go on being changed, put your hand up. Keep your hand in the air if you know that you need to change. Keep your hand up in the air if you think the person next to you needs to change. <laughs> See, this is a very interesting experiment. All right, you can put your hand down. <coughs> but it's a very interesting experiment that people say, often enough people say, well, I don't need to change that much. I say, what about the person next to you? Oh, yeah, they need. <laughs> Hands up if you think your husband, no, no, let's not even go there. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. I'll take a quick swig of water before I get to a long passage. And what I'm going to do is pause and comment as we go through. I think sometimes we read long passages of Scripture and it actually goes in one ear and out the other. So let's just take our time on this. This is amazing. This is testifying to everything we've said. This is a typical passage of the Bible talking about people who have changed about going on being changed and the contrast that there is. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And often the phrase the Gentiles talk is just talking about those who are not Christians. So right off, the, right off the bat, the first thing we're obviously told in verse 17 is we're not going to walk the same, which means we're going to stand out. You need to know that, Christian. Can't compromise, it's going to stand out. And the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. And they became callous. And let me just stop there for a moment. A Christian doesn't have a hard heart. So if we're going to be different from the Gentiles, and it says they are hardened in their hearts, then Christians need to have soft hearts. Because that is a result of the transformation. You may once have had a hardened heart, but the gospel has the power to get rid of all that is encrusted in your heart and make you a different person. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to every kind of impurity. What am I getting from this? The transformation is that Christians are not sensual, 
and they're generous and not greedy, and they're pure. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. So it tells me I used to have an old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. What is this telling me? It means the, the change that's coming will affect my lifestyle. And the change that's coming is I, w- I had an old man that I used to live under, but now I have a new man that I can live under. This is hinting at the fact that my thinking will change when I become a Christian. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let, us each, one of you, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of... So liars, who used to be compulsive liars... When the gospel comes into their life, it might not happen overnight, but the result is we speak the truth. We speak the truth. We don't lie. We speak the truth. It's as simple as that. In some cultures, lying, and some of us come from a background where it's a massive, massive problem. The gospel has the transformation power to change that utterly. Be angry, verse 26, and do not sin. I was angry when I heard about Joe Cox. There is a godly anger that you feel as a Christian. This is unjust. This should not be happening. You feel anger. But you can't allow that anger to become aggression. This is the problem our nation faces right now, even with the vote that we're going to have this week. I've been trying so hard not to hint about who I'm going to vote for. I think it's going to be very similar to what Joe Cox would have voted for. And we find ourselves in a situation where you can be angry, but don't. This is a verse for marriages. Don't let, your anger go, don't let your anger continue when the sun goes down. In other words, if you've got an issue with one another, sort it out by the end of the day. Christians can do that rather than holding grudges against one another. This is a really weird verse for many of us. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that you, he, may be, he may have something to share with everyone in need. You think, what on earth is that about? Listen, there are two nations that I've had a contact with. One is Lesotho. And I was in Lesotho once talking to a pastor of a church, and he said, when people get saved, do you know how they get saved? He said, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Uh, for, sorry, verse 28. We actually, part one of commitment course, do not lo, no longer thieve or steal. <clears throat> Stop it. Don't steal anymore, <clears throat> but labor and be a good worker. You think, well, that's weird. Why? Because in their culture, stealing is honored. Stealing is actually, everyone goes, thumbs up, well done. It was there, you took it. It's part of their culture. The same is true in a nation like Mozambique. Some of you know uh, Reams and Jen, I was with them a couple of weeks in Edinburgh ago. They came over to have a baby. And Reams, one of the things he struggles with is many of the workers he works with in Mozambique culture steal things at work. He said, one of the clarities of conversion for us is when a person stops stealing. This is really real. How do you know they're saved? They've stopped stealing. It's part of their culture. They do it all the time. Every, all, every day, everyone does it. Suddenly, guy says, I can't take that anymore. Why? Because they've become a Christian. It's amazing. It's powerful stuff. Let's move on. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for your building up of people, as fits the occasion. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Every kind of malice, malice. be kind. You get in the picture, total transformation from where you've come from. Verse 1 of chapter 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper amongst us. If stealing is not a problem, this is in 21st century London. We live in a sexually immoral and impure and covetous, which means idolatry, nation all around us. We have all been brought up in this transformation. We don't even talk about these things. We don't even mention them. Ever think the Bible's down to earth? Look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Can I just throw in innuendos? which are out of place, but instead there should be thanksgiving. <clears throat> For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Goes on to talk about the darkness and the light. Verse 7. Therefore do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were in darkness, now you're in light. Look at this. Walk as children of light. Try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's even shameful to talk about these things. What is in the darkness will become into the light and become visible. And it ends by saying, even this, do not get drunk with wine, because that's debauchery or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't do this, don't do that, don't live like that, don't say that, don't think that. You think, this is like a load of rules and regulations. No, 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 no. There's not a single rule or regulation here. It is the overflow, if you got this, of an inner transformation. So read those verses on your own sometime and pick them up and think, that's what I need to be like that. Now, how do we change? Five minutes and I've got to close. And there's one thing I really want to emphasize, but I'm going to give you a number of things. You can jot them down for those of you making notes. The rest of you, you probably never remember it anyway. Number one, a constant dependency upon the Holy Spirit. He is the number one agent for change. He is not an option if you've been changed and you want to go on being changed. The Bible uses the word sanctification. What does that word mean? It means the ongoing development to make us more like Jesus. You cannot do that. My problem with people in driving is I'm not involving the Holy Spirit. Joking apart, if I lived in the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit, it would change me. Number two, this little phrase, put off the old and put on the new. It's just a daily, daily commitment. Every day we have choices. Now we're Christians. The old man looms up, the old self. You've died to it. The new self is a decision. I'm not going to respond like this. The, all of these points, by the way, are sermons in their own right. Number three, the renewing of the mind. The Bible talks about it, doesn't it? It mentions it in that scripture, the gradual renewing of the mind. Most transformation in Christians happen when they think differently to the way that they used to think. And the more truth you get into your mind and thinking, 
the more the transformation will come out in the way that you live. Thoughts become actions. It changes your character. It changes your behavior. It all starts here. And lots of Christians say to me, well, I'm saved. I've been baptized in water. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm speaking in tongues. And I'm witnessing to my friends. I prayed for someone. They got healed the other day. And I'm still a mess inwardly. The answer is this. Your mind has not yet been given over to a transformation that comes through thinking. There's discipleship. We mentioned this in this church a lot. That's another avenue for change and transformation. People around you that speak into your life, people you can open up to, people you can share your life with. It's a huge growth mechanism and change when that happens to you. And here's the final thing. I've got a few minutes just to end with this. This is going to surprise some of you, but I'm going to go for it. Most change comes through God's plan for our lives and embracing it. Very little change happens in meetings. Most change happens in life. And God knows how to change us when, where, and what that will mean. And some of the greatest change takes place in the Christian's life when we are going through times that are difficult, that we do not understand. When we go through times that are really tough and times that we don't want, my observation is this in my own life and others, that the greatest transformation happens when you and I are going through things. We think, this isn't fair. This is really difficult. And behind it is the loving hand of our Heavenly Father who wants to change us because he knows that's the best thing for us and this is the journey that he takes us on. There are some people here this morning in valleys and times of dryness and barrenness, and your cry, like mine would be, get me out, and nothing happens. And you stay there, and it's dark, and it's difficult. Where does most growth take place? In the valleys or on the mountaintops? Well, I can give you the answer to that, because two weeks ago I was in the Lake District walking. And as we ascended up mighty mountains, you go through all these forests, and by the time you get to the top, there's nothing there at all. It's completely barren. Still beautiful because you've got stunning views. There's nothing growing there. Most growth, most change happens to Christians when we're down there in the valleys. When I was at college many years ago, I can remember the day that the presence of God, which I had known almost daily since the moment I'd been converted, just seemed to kind of evaporate. It was really, really weird. And I spent a whole year in what I would call a really dark place. I preached most Sundays in different churches about a God that I didn't even know whether he really existed. It was really, really tough and hard. It was a time of searching, soul-searching. I think basically I was an egotistic what's-it when I went into that valley. Me and Jesus were going to change the world. And I wasn't really good news. I was just full of pride. When I came out a year later, friends said, you're different. Because I think during that time, God had done such a work in me to try and get rid of some of that pride and egotism and say, from now on, David, you've got to learn. This isn't about feelings. This is about facts and faith, and it's about me, and it's not about you. Maybe in some ways was part of my journey and seasons since then, actually, that where I've been crying, God, get me out of here. If I look back, let me be really honest as I close this. 
most change doesn't happen through a sensational experience. And sensational experiences are good. We do not despise them. They're really, really important. But they rarely result in massive change. What results in massive change is the daily, constant, faithful, trusting in God, the one who changed me, that he is doing something now, even though it's dry and it's barren and I don't understand it. God is taking me through it. And here's the wonderful news. It's not depressing and it's not full of despair. Even if you go through the valley of death, the shadow of the valley of death, God says, there I am with you. There is a never a moment in your life where he doesn't, where he leaves you actually. And he never ever asks you to go through something that he doesn't know that you can get through. But you've got to embrace this as a Christian. I don't want to be in a church where everyone says, well, just come to the front every meeting and we pray for you and boom, it's all over. When the reality is you have to work out these things in your life. And for many, many of us, there's fantastic change going on right now, even though it's not all hallelujah and the whoop-whoops we did earlier in the meeting. And it's hard for some of us. It's tough. Let's be in a church where some people are just, they've come through and they're doing amazing, but next to them, sitting next to them, is a person going through a really hard time. And we do not despise the one and honor the one above the other. We need to be in an honest community because God is changing us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this talk from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk.